I cannot tell you anything about my father at all. I'm 31 year. I'm 31 years old, but only met my father, my biological father, only three times. And I don't know anything about him other than those three occasions. Um, I don't know anything about his mother or his or his uh, dad. I don't even know anything about his his mother, his parents' grandparents. You know, that's as much I know on my biological father's side. In terms of my mother's side, I I can only go back as far as my grandparents. I don't know anything about my grandparents' parents. Um, I know who my grandmother is, and I, I know who my granddaddy is as well. But if you ask me about the family lineage, you would get a big blank stare for me because I do not know. And that's all I know about my family history. And, you know, as a, uh, my, my uh, mother uh, used my granddad's last name because my biological father wasn't in my life. That's pretty common for uh, young males to adopt their, uh, yeah, adopt their grandfather's last name if the biological father is not in their life, and sometimes it's the opposite around, an opposite opposite way. Um, every genealogy in the Bible have a purpose, and we will see that in Matthew chapter one, verse one through sixteen. Uh, the genealogy accurately identify the lineage of a person and their family. The Bible accurately tells us of the genealogy of Noah, well, actually from Adam to Noah, and from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to Isaac and Jacob. You see that common theme in the scripture. Abraham, the father of Isaac and Jacob. That's just a short genealogy. When we think of when we think about Jacob's descendants, we automatically think about the twelve tribes of Israel. Jacob is the father of Israel. You if you ever read the book of Genesis, you will notice that Jacob was no longer called Jacob. He was called Israel. When you think about the descendants of David, we automatically somewhat think about the promise that God made to David. That is, the Messiah would come from the house of David to, seat, uh, to be seated on his throne forever. So we think about Christ. That's the promise that God made to David. Um, in Genesis chapter 5, we read about Adam's descendants until you get to the story of Noah. 
In Genesis chapter 9, 10, 11, we read about Noah's descendants until you get to the story of Abraham. And this is the case for the genealogy that is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 16. Please turn there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 16, which is a passage that speaks of Jesus' genealogy. Matthew's purpose for writing this genealogy is to encapsulate all the stories of the Bible. From Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to David, and from David to Jesus. More importantly, Matthew wants to communicate that Jesus is the Messiah, the promise of David. I have titled this particular sermon title, uh, the sermon title is titled Father of Fathers. And we will see that. I, and I think this, is, this particular passage is appropriate for Father's Day. I believe this genealogy gives us an ideal of who is who. And this is a good passage for Father's Day, I just, as I just mentioned, because these were fathers who fathered other sons and daughters. In the passage alone, the word father is written 39 times from verse 1 to verse 16. So I think, as I just stated, it's an appropriate passage for this holiday. The point of today's message is this. We're going to do this particular message in a deductive style, give you the theme of this particular passage, and repeat the theme again at the end of this sermon. An inductive style, talking about preaching now and studying the Bible, is that you learn the meaning of the passage at the very end. But the point of the message is this, your heavenly father loves you more than your earthly father. Your heavenly father loves you more than your earthly father. He would never fail you. He will always love you despite your disobedience towards him. He will love you just as much he loves his son. Jesus Christ because he sent his son to die for you and me and for your children. That's how much love he has for us. Since you're already there in Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 16, please follow along in your Bible as I read this passage. It says, starting in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac was uh, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, 
and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abimadab, and Abimadab the father of, Sal- of uh, Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon, the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Azath, Azath, Azaz, uh, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shelatil, and Shelatil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Elikim, and Elikim the father of Azor. And Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elud, and Elud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Matthew, and Matthew the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, and husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. That was a mouthful. <laughs> let, I, let God add a blessing to his word. The names that are listed in our passage epitomize how earthly fathers can be good or bad fathers toward their children. Now, there is not enough biblical data uh, in this passage or let alone in the Bible to identify each and every person. Therefore, we are not going to explain, or I'm not going to uh, talk about each and every person, so you can relax in that area. But what I am going to do is, is bring out the major characters within this particular passage, because there are more biblical data, for example, like Abraham and uh, Solomon and David. But if you look at verse Four, it said, and Ram, the father. Verse 4, we don't know too much about Ram. I looked him up. There's not enough biblical data about this particular person. We don't know if he lived a righteous life or an unholy life. All we do know is that he is the father of Abimadab. He is listed in the Old Testament because... He is listening in the majority of the genealogies of the Old Testament. That is the common theme, one of the common themes in the Bible. To make sure the genealogies are accurate. For example, if you ask a Jewish person today, are they a descendant of David? They cannot tell you. They do not know. There is no records as of today that shows that any Jewish person is a 
a descendant from one of these individuals. But we can say this of Christ. Because scripture itself is testifying that Christ is the descendant of David. So if you follow the genealogies from the beginning of Genesis 5 to this particular text, Matthew, and also in Luke chapter 3, you will see the common threads which is leading up to the birth of Christ. So, we're not going to identify them. As I said, we do not know how this person lived. We do not know if he was a righteous person. All we do know is that he's the father of Abimadab, but do not know if he was a good father to his son. You also notice in verse 5, we see the name Boaz. Right? And the Bible portrays Boaz as a righteous person. He, is, he was the type of Christ, a Christ-like figure. Because he was the redeemer of a Moabite widow by the name of Ruth. So you get bits and pieces of this particular genealogy of who these individuals were, but at the same time, you don't have enough information on each and every person here. But we do see one of the first names in verse 2, Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. The scripture says a lot about Abraham. Does it not? The scripture says that he was a friend of God, according to Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7. And Romans chapter 4, verse 3 says, Abraham believed in God and it was counted towards him as righteous. And the Christian faith, we call Abraham, along with the Bible, the father of faith. Because, according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 and 9, Scripture says, know that Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, the man of faith. However, was Abraham a good father towards Isaac and his other son, Ishmael? But we also know that if you study Abraham's life, he was a habitual liar. Habitual liar. He lied about his wife, Sarah. The Bible only records that he lied two times about his wife, Sarah, but if we can draw from that truth, how many other times have he lied concerning other things? We know that he committed adultery. He committed adultery with Hagar. Hagar was not his wife. Sarah was. Look at verse 2. Notice how Matthew wrote 
Abraham was the father of Isaac. It is clear that Matthew omitted Abraham's first son from this genealogy. Abraham's first son, Ishmael. Because Matthew is not concerned about Ishmael's name because he is not one of the well, he is not part of the seed of the promise that God made to Abraham. Isaac was. I kind of characterize Abraham as a good father. who loved his children dearly. He did not favor one child over the other. When Ishmael was 13, he, alone with his mother, was forced to leave all that they knew in the house of Abraham because because of Sarah's wishes. She wished that Ishmael, along with Hagar, be kicked out of their Home. This means that means Abraham involuntarily abandoned his son Ishmael because his wife Sarah felt indignant towards Ishmael and Ishmael's mother Hagar. In Genesis, you can turn there in Genesis chapter twenty-one, verse ten through twelve. And please hold your spot back in Matthew chapter 1. It says in Genesis chapter 21, verse 10 through 12, But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And, the, and this thing, and the thing was very pleasing to Abraham on account of his son. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. That's the key part of this particular passage I want you to get out. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Listen, if it wasn't not for God telling Abraham to not, well, to cast his son off. I don't. I do not believe that Abraham would have done that. He loved his son Ishmael. He didn't necessarily separate part of his love for Ishmael and another part for Isaac. He loved them both. But out of obedience toward God, he cast his son away from him. It was by faith that Abraham 
Well, if it was not for God telling him to listen to his wife, voice, he would not have abandoned his son Ishmael. He loves Ishmael, like I just said. You know, even when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, Abraham, again, acted out of obedience towards his son. I remember <laughs> I asked a Christian friend of mine a long time ago about this particular subject. Would you offer up your only son to God? He said, no, I would not. He would not. I understand why. But in terms of Abraham, the man of great faith, he knew that when he offered up his son Isaac, and if he would have struck Isaac with that knife, God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him. Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Because he went on to say that God, even Abraham knew that God would raise him from the dead. That is the case. So I don't think Abraham's love for his sons differentiate between one another. When he offered his son Isaac, it was out of obedience and it was still out of love as well. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back from the dead into life again. So do we understand that when Abraham acted, he acted out of faith, right? And again, let me remind you, the point of this particular message is to show you that these are fathers who love their children, but flawed fathers at that. Listen, when Matthew wrote this genealogy, he did not shy away from illustrating to us some of the most insidious sins of the Bible. These things are noticeable. For example, when Matthew listed these four female names in this genealogy, along with their male counterparts, but in terms of these females, he is showing us that God used sinful relationships between those females and their male counterparts to bring about the birth of Christ. Normally, in genealogies, female names are not listed. There is no need to list a female name. And here's the reason why. Because if you are a descendant of someone, normally you will take their last name, the father's name. We do that today. We practice that same ritual or that same thought now. 
Your kids taste the father's name. There's no need for a female to be listed in the genealogies. Moreover, if you really look at this particular genealogy, at least three out of the five females' names listed in this genealogy were females of non-Jewish backgrounds. These females were outsiders of the covenant community. They weren't able to enter into the holy temple. We're talking about, we're speaking of Canaanites and Moabites and Adumalites, presumably speaking. Nevertheless, God used these outcast women to be the grandmothers of Jesus. To be a part of redemptive history. Let's, let's look at the genealogy. And one of the first female names that you will see in verse 3 is Tamar. Tamar, Tamar name, name is listed in verse 3. She was a daughter-in-law of Judah. In Genesis chapter 38, we read of Tamar disguising herself as a prostitute so that she can seduce her father-in-law sexually. So that, by her father-in-law, she can have children produced by her. Although Judah did not know she know that this particular individual, Tamar, was a prostitute, I do not necessarily excuse Judah's sin. Because he is just as guilty as Tamar. So, Judah is not the innocent victim. Their relationship with each other was an act of incest. It was an act of Contrary, to, uh, contrary, against, uh, contrary to the law of God. And we know from verse 3, since Judah and Tamar was in a incestuous relationship, out of that came Perez and Zerah. Right? Another name that we will see is Rahab name listed here. Rahab's full occupation was prostitution. However, she is praised as a woman of faith who believed in Yahweh and she is the grandmother of David. I would like to if you can recall the story when Joshua sent the two spies into the land to spy out the land itself, I would like to believe that one of those spies was Salmon, which is in Genesis, I mean, in Matthew chapter 1, the, one of the names listed in this genealogy. I would like to believe that. Because when those two spies came into the land, Rahab hid those two spies from being captured. And I like to believe Simon saw that beautiful woman of faith and said, wow, I'm going to marry you. 
We never know who those two spies were, but I'm just using my imagination. So Simon saw Rahab's faith, desired to marry her because she believed in Yahweh over her gods. Here's another name. Ruth is also listed. You might say that, well, Ruth was a person of honor. And that is true. Even, you might say, she loved her mother more than her own, her mother-in-law more than her own mother. That is also true. But let's not exclude her lineage. She was a Gentile. A person outside the covenant faith. And she was not only a Gentile, she was a Moabite. Now, you might say, why is that so important? Well, you have to think about it. Where did the Moabites come from? Right? She is a descendant of Lot. A descendant of Lot. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 34 through 37, it's a story about Lot and his two daughters. And one of the daughters, the oldest daughter, said to her youngest daughter, actually, let's turn there. We can, let's turn there. Uh, Turn to Genesis chapter 19, verse 34. Genesis 19, verse 34. So this is after when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot's daughter had the impression that there were no more men available. They weren't, was not able, well, could not uh, produce any children. Men weren't available, right? So we pick up in uh, 34. It says, The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you may, then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine and the, that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him and did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both of the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name what? Moab. He is the father of who? Moabites to this day. And the younger also bore a son and called his name Benami, and he is the father of the Memonites to this day. So you see how God overlooked insidious sins? And he and Ruth is from this particular family tree. Ruth is a Moabite. But God still used her in redemptive history. You turn back to Matthew. 
God did not shy away. He is inclusive to bring everyone else in on his sovereign plan despite the sins of fallen people. Look at verse 6. You see in verse 6, it says, Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Wait a minute. Who is, who is the wife of Uriah? That's another name that is not necessarily listed in this particular genealogy, but she is definitely been mentioned. Uriah's wife was Bathsheba. And I believe that Matthew want to get the point across to make sure we do not forget that particular story of what happened between David and Bathsheba. Because if he would have just said, David, now Jesse, the father of David, and David, uh, the father of Solomon, and Solomon came from Bathsheba and left Uriah out, it will left a lesser punch than what this text is doing. This is what Matthew is trying to convey. He is continuing with the story. He wanted our minds to focus in on what happened between David and Uriah. Who was Uriah? Uriah was a godly man and a friend of David. In fact, Uriah was one of David's mighty men who risked his life for the life of David when David was running away from his enemies. And Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, it's it's just a great irony here. The wife of Uriah. That's nothing but irony. At first glance, it would seem odd that Matthew did not write Bathsheba's name, but the mother of Solomon. And as I said, he wrote, it said, Matthew wrote Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So by not adding Bathsheba's name to this genealogy, it's not demeaning towards her, but towards David. David was the cause for Uriah's death. David murdered Uriah because he had an adulterous relationship with Uriah's wife. Bathsheba. You know what? Please imagine. Imagine with me for a second. Imagine when Solomon first heard news of what happened to his mother's first husband. How would you think that story went? Solomon could have been saying, what? My father David murdered my my mother's first husband? We're talking about the man of God, the man who was after God's own heart. My father did this? From Solomon's perspective, right? Solomon could have said, what kind of man is he? 
That has been some. That must have been a great family reunion story. So what happened? So God punished David for behaving sinfully. Nathan the prophet came to David and said, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. So David was on top of his roof. We know the story. And David saw Uriah and said, I mean not Uriah, but Bathsheba and said, Wow, I must have her. While Uriah was out there fighting for David. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. Beloved, that prophecy came true. That prophecy came true. The prophecy of Nathan's word came true for David's life. David's first child with Bathsheba died seven days later. One of David's son, Amnon, raped Tamar, David's only daughter. Another son of David, Absalom, took revenge on Amnon by murdering him because Tamar was... Absalom's sister. I'm sorry, not Tamar. Yeah, Tamar. And Absalom attempted to make himself king by dethroning David. So in Nathan, Nathan's prophecy, it said, God will take your wives and give them to your neighbor. That came true as well when Absalom, David's son, tried to attempt to dethrone his own father, he slept with his father's concubines. God must be saying, is this a Father's Day message? (laughs) David was a murderer, a liar, an adulteress. So, we automatically may have an impression that David failed miserably as a father. That is true. But nonetheless, listen, nonetheless, despite David's blatant sins, he was a he was a man who loved his children. Despite whatever his children did to him, he still loved them. For example, when David found out that his son Absalom, the one who tried to kill him and dethrone him from being king, died, David wept bitterly for his son Absalom. You can hold your place. I can turn to. I'm going to turn to Second Samuel chapter 18, 31 through 33. You can turn there too. And I want you to catch the emotions of David when he heard the news of his son. 
Second Samuel chapter 18, verse 31 and 33. It says in Second Samuel chapter 18, verse 31, it says, And behold, the Cushite came and said, and the Cushite said, Good news for my Lord the King. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, in verse 32, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my Lord and the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. This is David's son, that this Cushite is talking about. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So despite David's sin, he loved his children. Despite that the prophecy came true in David's life because of his own fault, he still loved his children and would have traded his life for his kids. Again, this is a Father's Day message. And I just want to show you how you can be a good father and yet still be a sinner to your kids. The next person that we're going to highlight in this particular genealogy back in Matthew is Solomon. What can we say about Solomon? Right? It is clear one of the most things that is very that the Bible itself highlights is that Solomon had many, 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 many wives. But it is also clear that Scripture requires that a man shall have only one wife. 400 years earlier, before Israel was, was a kingdom, a united kingdom, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 and 17. This is 400 years before God established a kingdom in Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17. It says, and let's start in 14, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like the nations that are around me. Do you remember the story of Samuel and, and everyone else when they wanted the kings like everybody else? This is 400 years earlier than that particular point. 
Verse 15, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers, you shall set a king over you. You, shall, you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Verse 17. Think of Solomon and look at verse 17. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Here is Solomon, a father, whose heart turned from God because of the women he was dealing with. I keep it PG-13. You know, you, we know the story of the temp- uh, not the story, but the song of the temptations. Papa was a rolling stone. Sam, uh, Solomon was a papa, and his stone kept rolling. You know, this is this is a father, Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. I wonder what Rehoboam may have thought about his own father at that time. We cannot downplay the wisdom of Solomon. That is evident. One of the wisest men in the world, one of the men, men who, who accomplishes, accomplished a lot in his lifetime, but he still was a father who had bad characteristics. And he was a father who had good characteristics. So, can you read this particular genealogy? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 16, one of the most biblical themes that comes out of this particular genealogy is grace. It is grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That is the, one of the most things I, I see here. The fathers that is listed in our passage illustrate to us that they were good and bad fathers. That God the Father used human, human beings to father a daughter or a son. But even, even more, God is allowing his grace to be upon that father to father that son or daughter. You know, to give you an ideal according to uh, 
this, all the names in this passage of who was good and evil. I have a list here. Starting with the first person who was a king and a father. Rehoboam. He was evil. Abimajam. He was evil. Asa was good. Jehoshaphat was good. Jehoram, Jehoram was evil. Isaiah, evil. Athelala, evil. Joash, good. Amaziah, Amaziah, good. Uzziah, good. Jotham, good. Ahaz, evil. Hezekiah, good. Manasseh, evil. Amnon, evil. Josiah, good. Jehoahaz, evil. Jehoiakim, or Jehoachin, in this particular translation, evil. Jehoachin, again, evil. Zedekiah, evil. Now, these are the names that some admit it, not in this particular genealogy, but the majority of these names are. And at the same time, God used these good fathers and evil fathers to bring about his sovereign plan to bring Jesus Christ. But let me clarify just a little bit more. Who is, who is, uh, or who was Jesus' biological father? That's a great answer. It wasn't Joseph. It was God. So God had bypassed all these good and evil people to bring about his son. Now, keep in mind, Mary's name is listed in this genealogy. Mary is a descendant of David. Now, Joseph, legally, was, was the father of Jesus. It was totally acceptable for a father or a person to adopt an individual. So legally, Jesus was the son of David. Physically, since Mary is a descendant of David, Jesus still have the heir to the throne of David. Because the one common theme of this particular, another common theme of this particular text is this. If Joseph would have been the father of Jesus, we're all being our sins. It's that simple. So God had to bypass these men. But it's marvelous at the same time because God knew what he was doing. If you're a single mom and your children and your children's father was absent in their lives, um, like pretty much like I was, my question to you, single moms, on this Father's Day, are you helping your child to fill that void 
and their heart? Are you pointing your child to God, the Heavenly Father? Again, when I realized who my biological father was, the part, one part of him would say, I wish he was rich. Just make him rich, Lord. Because I'm going to get him for all he has. But that wasn't the case. But when I finally met the, my biological father, that void was filled to some degree. Not because of who he is, just because of the knowledge of him. And it helped me to understand the principles of being a father by him being absent from my life. And more importantly, I don't have that void anymore of not having a father in my life. I know who my daddy is. Raised by a single mother who raised four kids as best as she could have. If you're a father, you too will fail your children. You will fail them. You will disappoint them repeatedly. For this reason, it is imperative that you, as a father, point your children towards the heavenly fathers of fathers. The fathers, I mean, the father of fathers. When you disappoint your child, that is a great example to display the gospel itself. Because our Heavenly Father would never fail your children. He would never disappoint them. He will always be with them when you're absent. Who has unwavering love for your children. Who sent his only son to die for your children. This is the Father of fathers. Fathers, do you recognize your good and bad qualities as a father? Do you uh, do your children know that you're not a perfect dad, but a father who will love them unconditionally? Fathers, are you teaching your children to love God? Are you teaching your children to love God's Son, Jesus Christ, more than you? Your main responsibility is to teach your child the commands of God. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful necklace for your 
head and a necklace for your neck. So, even in uh, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20, this is what it says. Said it repeatedly in a different way. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Buy them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil. So, while you're teaching your children, you're teaching them the gospel. You're teaching them about the truths of God. So happy Father's Day. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I thank you that you are the Father of fathers. Despite you have given children unto fallen parents, but in the in that you understand that they will mess up and they will be good and they will exceed uh, above uh, the expectations of their children. Whichever way it is, you are working through them. You are loving them. You are teaching them how to be fathers and teaching them how to be a mom. And I thank you I thank you for what you're doing and, and, and humanity. I thank you, Lord. And I pray that you will continue to teach them as they teach their children. I pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Well, this is a time for all of us to prepare our hearts to give. As the ushers come forward, I will pray over the offering and we will go from there. Uh, let us pray for the offering. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the offering. I do ask you that you will